0: This show is all about the people behind the science of biotechnology and medical devices. Through the stories of the people, I hope that Lab Rats to Unicorns is able to describe the transformative process of you know how an idea starts in the lab and eventually becomes a life-saving treatment or a product that that helps patients with diseases. Life 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 life-saving. Well, I am thrilled to welcome Kristen Holmes to the show. She is the Vice President of Performance at OOP, your personal digital fitness and health coach. She is also a science and medical advisor to several companies and organizations, including Liminal Collective, Arena Labs, Evolve, Levels, and a few others as well. Also to define her background is she is a 2021 Hall of Fame inductee, three times All-American, two-time Big Ten Athlete of the Year at the University of Iowa, a Hawkeye, competing in both field hockey and basketball. She's a seven-year member of the U.S. national field and hockey team and one of the most successful coaches in Ivy League history, having won 12 league titles in 13 seasons and a national championship at Princeton University. If that isn't enough, uh, just to round things out, she is now pursuing her PhD in psychology at the University of Queensland. So, Welcome to the show, Kristen.
1: Oh, thanks, John. I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm really honored to have you on. And I know our audience is going to be really excited to hear more about your background. And maybe we'll kick it off by just giving you a chance to tell us a little bit about Whoop and your role there and what, what brought you there in the first place.
1: Yeah, well, at a at a high level, Whoop is a 24-7 physiological monitoring device. You wear it on the wrist, but it can be worn throughout the body. So it's not meant to kind of intrude your life. It's meant to enhance it. And a lot of folks, you know, don't want to take up real estate on their wrist. They don't have to. They can wear it on other parts of the body as well now um, with our new 4.0. But the goal of the product is really to take in as much biometric info as as we can. So I think what differentiates us in the market is that the high fidelity, the high rate that we're able to pull. in heart rate data, and then I think our real value prop is how we transform those heart rate data to give you insights about how your body is responding and adapting to external load. Um, and we measure that via what's called recovery. And again, that's just how much capacity you have to kind of take on your day. And then we also measure strain. Uh, so that's how much cardiovascular load you're putting on your body. And there's lots of coaching in our strain feature in terms of using our, your recovery, your capacity to understand how much load you can safely put on your body. You know depending on what your physiological intent is. So if you want to get fitter, you want to take on a little bit more load than what you're capable of, right? We need that kind of uh, stress in order to induce fitness levels. And then we also measure sleep. And we do that really, really well. We have some beautiful third-party validation that was done at the University of Arizona. Uh, The most rigorous, I think, device validation from the wrist. And we were you know, very much in line with the gold standard, which is exciting, and yeah, so that's kind of at a high level what Whoop is. And I joined Whoop about six years ago, and I was at Princeton University, um, as you mentioned, prior to that, and I was uh, coaching there. I was I was there for thirteen years, and it was a wonderful experience. But in my my journey as a coach, um, I started to build out these really robust kind of performance education frameworks to give my athletes an infrastructure to obviously succeed while they're a student and athlete at Princeton, but really give them a foundation and a framework to think about their life beyond being a student athlete. So it was a you know kind of this value-driven framework that took into considerations really the individual. So on an individual level, what are those psychological influences we need to be thinking about? What are the physiological influences we need to be thinking about? And what I realized as I was building out this framework is that it was it was awesome and it took, I think, my athletes through this incredible journey. But what's kind of missing is just the objective feedback. And that's where when I really started to get into technology, I started building my own technology at Princeton. I raised about a quarter of a million dollars of angel funding and started building um I started a company uh, called um, Actis. And I was basically pulling in using, you know, just a, a Fitbit at the time. I was pulling in their raw data and I s- hired some folks, some PhD students in statistics, machine learning, and computational biology. And we were basically kind of pulling that heart data reverse engineering it, I suppose, and building algorithms around sleep uh, readiness is what I called it at the time. And this is back in like 2013, you know, so this is a long time ago. But just really trying to build an application that would allow my athletes to really understand how their body was responding and adapting to, you know, the strain that I was putting on them, you know, what their day looks like outside of training, which was really a metric that didn't exist. And um, and we capture it as strain at WHOOP, which is, you know, so brilliant. And then obviously sleep, you know, that was the the biggest Impact on whether or not I think my athletes were able to stay healthy, or if they ended up getting injured, or if they felt good mentally and, and physically and were able to kind of achieve their goals. I saw this very strong relationship behind their sleep behavior and kind of whether or not they were able to achieve all the things that they wanted to as a student athlete. So we really started to dig into sleep. And I suppose that, you know, I got through beta and um, I was presenting my technology. To, I was giving a lecture at Princeton, and one of the guys in the stands happened to be an investor of Whoop and a former Princeton alum and uh, said, you have to meet Will Ahmed, the CEO. (laughs) He said, he's building something so similar and you guys will really hit it off. And sure enough, we really hit it off. And, um, you know, Will offered me this incredible opportunity to join the company and to help them build this product. And, you know, from a values perspective, you know, just having this opportunity to grow professionally and, you know, intellectually and be able to impact, you know, not just my sliver of pie at Princeton, but just potentially the world was really intriguing. So I took it and yeah, that's kind of... The rest is history, I suppose.
0: That's a fascinating story. I love it. And, you know, just as you described that progression, it's really interesting to hear you talk about it really from the user side up. I mean, I kind of look at you as you're like a player coach. You know, you (laughs) you do both. You're using the technology on your own behalf. You're kind of your own experiment in many ways. But then you're (laughs) offering that knowledge to the teams that you're coaching and obviously at a very high level. So that's very authentic. You know, you strike me as a very authentic person. And so if you think about the nature of the technology, it's often in the world of innovation, sometimes what gets lost is there's a fascination around the technology itself and not as much around the end user. Mm. But it seems that your journey and being that end user to start with and shaping the information that you were looking for and then having the technology itself as that tool really sets the stage for a powerful platform. So that's that's pretty cool for your journey to where you are now. And I think what has to be a differentiating feature of what Whoop is doing is you're, it strikes me as very analytics driven. Yes. And you're taking the information and you're, the real value proposition is, uh, again, not the tool, but the output from the tool. Yeah. And maybe just the one word I hear you talk a lot about, it's even in your title, is performance. And you -hmm. combine that with science. Can you describe what you mean by, or define the science of performance? Yeah, I
1: mean, I think for me, performance is the capacity of an individual to intentionally behave at a level equal to their physical, mental, and emotional potential. Uh, so I, I came up with that 20 years ago, like l- literally when I was at the University of Iowa, I was like, how do we actually define, you know, people say this word performance, what in the hell does it actually mean? And so I was like, I'm going to define it. And I, you know, honestly, it took me a while, but that's kind of, I, that's on the tip of my tongue, as you can see, it's because I, I really, you know, I, my athletes knew what that meant, you know, anyone I present to or interact with, I, you know, I encourage them to come up with their definition of what does it mean to actually perform, you know, and I think it's about living your values and and being able to, you know, I feel I feel like we there isn't a ceiling, right? You know, I'm kind of one of those optimists in that, you know, I believe that everyone has this incredible amount of potential inside them. And, and I think a lot of my life's work has been around what does that path to your potential actually look like? You know, when you think about the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, like how do I tap into that as consistently as possible? What are the behaviors or the factors that influence my ability to tap into that? As consistently as possible, so I can be as present and engaged in my life and, and spend my attention and my thoughts in, in a way that is truly rewarding to me. So I, th- I think what I presented today at that little meeting, John, you know, with you know Fulton Labs was really around what that framework actually looks like, you know, what that model really looks like in terms of our behaviors, physiological and psychological, and how that influences our internal capacity and and whether or not we're able to actually live. At a, you know, at a level that's equal to our physical, mental, emotional potential, which again, is really performance.
0: Yeah. And that integration is the word that keeps yeah. popping to mind for me, just integration and and balance. Can you tell us a little bit more about what shaped that philosophy for you? What what was your early journey like? Were there <laughs> um, early inspirations or aspirations or people that influenced your trajectory that got you to be embracing that philosophy, or did it just kind yeah, of fall out of the no. sky? And it, it's Dr. You. Jim
1: Lair, L O E H R, was a, a super early influence of mine. I didn't know him, but I read his books and was given a book by my high school tennis coach. He gave me. Uh, a book he had written, and he you knows all about performance. And and Dr. Jim Lara is like kind of the earliest performance psychologist, I guess. Um, he kind of coined the term, I think. But he used in his journey. You know, he was one of the first folks to use heart rate data in his coaching, and yeah, he. So he was a, such an early influence, and and I because of him, I started you know, really thinking intentionally about my behaviors and and recognizing that, wow, there's a performance cost to my behaviors, you know, like when I do X, oh, Y happens when I do, you know, uh, you know, so I could start to see that there is like this very almost cause and effect, you know, and I kind of took that into my college days where I, you know, got really into kind of tracking and trying to understand, okay, you know, how do I, I in terms of what drove me, like I was competitive and I wanted to win and i probably didn't have the best relationship with winning at the at that time i was pretty outcome driven even though i think at the time i probably wouldn't want to admit it but and and kind of over the course of the years developed a healthy relationship with that but yeah i mean i was i was really competitive i wanted to win um i wanted to succeed i was very ambitious and driven i wanted to be an olympian you know so i had these things that i wanted to do so i think that really drove you know my desire to learn about all the factors that influence my ability to be my best and bring my best self for my teammates and my coaches. And, you know, I wanted my university. I want to represent my university and my country. You know, at the time, I was, you know, elite level athlete for the U.S. team. And so, yeah, so I, I think, you know, Dr. Jim Lair, Dr. Molly Marty, Dr. Lockett Stewart, there were some of my early, when I was doing graduate work at the University of Iowa, there were some of the, my early influences, you know, there were kind of performance education you know kind of frameworks um, they were digging into all of that and working with our athletic department so i was basically just doing uh research for for them and and helping them with some of this modeling so yeah, that was my early my early influences
0: Yeah. And then again, along that pathway, obviously, you know, a very, like you said, competitive and driven person competing, you know, at the highest levels of the game. Share a few stories, if you would, around your experience since, you know, we're in the midst of the Winter Olympics right now. (laughs) Maybe get us into the mindset of what it was like to compete yeah. for the national team. And just what, what was it like to get on the team in the first place? Did you face any barriers to get on? Yeah. And once on, what were some interesting experiences along yeah, that? Yeah, I made
1: the team when I was pretty young. I think I was 18. Um, so I was one of the younger, if not the youngest player at the time on the team. And it... So were you still in college Yeah, I was a sophomore. So what, I was a yeah. freshman. I was oh, a freshman gosh, in college. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. It was, um, okay. we, our tryouts were in the over like, literally a couple days after Christmas, it was, like, the worst thing ever (laughs) because you're just, like, so panicked and just working out like a, you know, a crazy person just trying to prepare for, you know, what are super rigorous tryouts. And, yeah, after the four days, I found out I made the team and I, like, Just couldn't believe it. I, you know, like it's like every fiber of my being from the time I was in seventh grade to that moment was like set up to like. I mean, it's the last thing I thought about when I went to bed, and it was the first thing I thought about in the in the morning. It like really drove my decision as to which university I, I would attend. You know, I turned down uh, early action at Harvard. Like, I, you know, like I was I, to go to Iowa where my the coach was a three-time Olympian and we played in a state-of-the-art yeah. facility. And my teammates, you know, I had to, a lot of the Iowa teammates were already on the national team. So it's just this infrastructure for just like they just that's what they did. They produced national team players. So sure enough. Yeah, we, we talk a lot
0: about, you know, with with entrepreneurs and building biotech companies, life sciences companies, kind of the word, it's an overused word. Uh, my <laughs> wife reminds me all the time, ecosystem. You know, you, yeah, you went to yeah, a place yeah. where you were surrounded by a community and ecosystem of yeah. other like-minded people. So anyway, I didn't mean yeah, to cut I you know, off, but, but I, it just struck but me true. as a I mean, it, And a honestly, like
1: that was when I when I actually ended up at Princeton University, obviously in Ivy League school, I was like, all right, how do I, we had never had a, a national team player at Princeton University. So no one had ever represented their country as a field hockey player and I was like we need to create a high performance environment a high performance ecosystem to attract those athletes and sure enough we ended up I think, in my time, you know, with four Olympians and just a dozen national team players. So we totally created a high-force environment. But, but you're right. I think you you create as a CEO and as a company, like you create a culture and you talk about your values in a way that attracts the right kind of people to your company. And it doesn't mean that everyone is the same. You have, obviously, diversity and perspectives, and but at a foundational level— at our core, what is it in the hell that we believe in? Like, what are we actually, what is the project here that we're trying to achieve? And, you know, at WHOOP, we're trying to unlock human performance. You know, at Iowa, we're trying to live the best version of ourselves. Like that was, you know, and what, and then you kind of, you know, okay, what is, that's my high, I'm trying to unlock human performance. I'm trying to be the best version of myself. All right, how do my behaviors need to line up to kind of get me to that spot? Assuming, of course, that that's, I believe in that mission. But yeah, so, I mean, I was just making that team. I was just utterly thrilled, and I think, the best moment was like being able to tell my dad, who is like such an incredible supporter of of mine and just driving me to camps. We spent so much time in the car, you know, going to camps and like, you know, not making teams, making teams, like just all the highs and lows of getting to that point where you actually like make a U.S. national team and you're one of 24 athletes, you know. Yeah, it's kind of a I think that was like the most special moment.
0: Well, and do you still rely on your dad? I'm just uh, curious yeah. about you know your current mentor set. That having uh, it's a lonely journey to do what you're doing in so many ways. You're pioneering. Yeah. You're creating. You're taking yeah. risks. You're defining the science of performance in so many ways. You're yeah. drawing others in, but it can be a lonely journey. And so finding people like your dad that, you know, are not not only key influencers, but they're when things aren't so great either. And any comments around how you build, just even at a high level uh, guidance for entrepreneurs that are thinking about how do you build your posse, you know, your, your dugout, the people that step up when you need to be lifted up.
1: Yeah, that is, yeah. I mean, I definitely, my dad is just, he's such a good man. And I, I just learned just through his actions, you know, what it means to live with integrity, like what it means to live your values, like what hard work looks like managing disappointment and and success and what that looks like. Like he was just an unbelievable influence on me. And, and, and I think to your point, like who I surround myself, like I want to surround myself with people like my dad, you know, one of my, as it relates to kind of my career professionally, like, you know, a lot of the advisor roles you mentioned have been really important, you know, because those are people who are in a similar situation. They're creating, they're grinding, they're trying to build something unique and innovative that is going to impact the world in a positive way. It, a no better example than one of my my colleagues and one of my very best friends, Brian Ferguson. He's the CEO of Arena Labs Global, who's really trying to do something very difficult. They're bringing high-performance medicine to frontline healthcare clinicians. So just trying to solve that give those folks the tools to be able to manage their physiology in a way that helps them mitigate the deleterious effects of being in such a hard, you know, environment. And then Levels Health is another company that I work closely with. You know, Dr. Casey Means and Josh Clemente are just phenomenal. And, you know, just seeing them build their company and uh, being able to be a part of it in a small way. And so, you know, those are a couple folks that are really close in my ecosystem that I get to interact with a ton. And, um, you know, I think we support each other really well. And then there's just lots of folks out there who just I'm inspired by, you know, who are doing cool, innovative work. Luisa Nicolai. Is one. She runs kind of neuroathletics. It's kind of all the cognitive and brain work. Dr. Andrew Huberman, you know, someone who I admire greatly at Stanford University, who does, is just a, an insane public educator on helping people understand their physiology and is just really impacting the world in, in a positive way. And then Dr. Molly Marty, uh, who I mentioned earlier, she's the CEO of a company called WorldMaker.com, and they are a support system that goes into communities in crisis and helps them understand how to build, you know, a more resilient community. And so those are just a few of the folks that I could keep going, but that's that's a, just a handful.
0: No, that's, and, and it, what strikes me as interesting too, is there's a give and take in that, you know, you're both getting that support, but you're probably giving it at the same time. And so you're accessing and impacting mm-hmm. through those relationships yeah, areas, I even so. even outside of your role at WHOOP, which is, which yep. is pretty cool to, to look yeah. at that, that leverage. Now, you know, you've had the chance to work with a lot of, you know, the best elite athletes in yeah. the world, some of the best teams, best organizations are there any elements that you think help the most elite become even more elite, or be- become yeah. their full their full selves as you describe it? Is there any key characteristic, and you know, I I'm going to try to maybe make the jump from the athlete to the entrepreneur at some point along this conversation yeah. too. So keep that in yeah. mind as you're shaping your. your I mean, response. I think
1: all of the characteristics that make an elite athlete great are ones that a lot of our, you know, really successful entrepreneurs adopt as well. Like, you know, I think at a foundational level, you know, it's, 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 you know, and I know this is tough for entrepreneurs at times because we just don't spend enough time in bed sleeping, but sleep is huge. So I think at a professional level, and of course, like it's kind of their job to do a lot of these things. Whereas I think entrepreneurs don't see it as their job to get a good night's sleep, but we need to change that. Like we, you know, entrepreneurs, I mean, I work, you know very closely with a lot of entrepreneurs and i can tell you that once they start creating a, a routines and frameworks around their sleep their productivity their effectiveness as as a leader their decision making everything relationships everything in their life improves so i would say you know that at the the elite athletes like that is one thing that they are a thousand percent trying to get a handle on is how do I become a better sleeper of the time that I'm spending in bed? How do I maximize it for quality? So looking at, you know, time spent in REM and time spent in deeper stages of sleep. So how to you become efficient sleeper? You know, they're really trying to stabilize when they go to bed and when they wake up, knowing that that drives efficiency. Um, and there, ha- there has this kind of cascade effect to other behaviors that are really positive as it relates to performance, just in terms of your mood, immune functioning, yeah. Yeah. your, you know, your metabolism, like, yeah everything.
0: And it's interesting thinking about that dichotomy between the entrepreneur and the elite athlete. It didn't strike me until you mentioned it that, you know, the elite athlete is kind yeah. of in the business of health and yeah. keeping themselves Healthy as a as a key asset. The same is true for oh, that entrepreneur, nope. but I'm not sure they think about it the same way. In fact, there's almost a pride factor sometimes, and you know they don't get yeah. any sleep, and you know that that there's there's not yeah. as much balance. I, yeah. And you know I think that the elements of you know over the long term, how long can an athlete last? How long can a CEO entrepreneur last? There's there's a lot. Of I parallels. think so, yeah.
1: And and I think what's sneaky about insufficient sleep and low quality sleep is that you can't perceive your own cognitive and physical declines. Like you just can't, you can't tell that you're functioning at a lower level. As a result, you end up adapting to that lower level. And, you know, that's, to me, that's always like my argument with, you know, kind of an elite athlete who's like, oh, I'm already scoring 30 points and I'm already on the all-star team. And I'm like, well, what are you leaving on the table? That's the question. By getting six hours of sleep a night, what are you leaving on the table? And, And that's where, you know, we take for granted, I think, our kind of genetic capacity, the skills and expertise that we we have, right? Because a lot, like a lot of the entrepreneurs are kind of elite, you know, they are really smart, they have great genetics, and you know, that kind of comes together. They have built this kind of incredible level of skill and expertise in, in whatever their domain is. But again, like to leverage those skills and expertise and that genetic capacity, it's how you manage your lifestyle like that is the competitive advantage that entrepreneurs don't realize is like you want to compete effectively you manage your lifestyle and this is how i thought about it when i was an athlete and and how i think about it now is that there are no neutral actions i am either making a choice that is going to upgrade my and allow me to live my values right? Um, Which is growth and impact and peace and, you know, all the things that are important to me in my life or they're not. And so I think from my perspective, the lifestyle sets you up to give you a competitive advantage um, and to ensure that you're not leaving anything on the table, right? Like, I want to make sure that I am leveraging my skills and expertise to my fullest, and I want to make sure that I'm, like, you know, not, like, hurting my genetic capacity, right? By not sleeping, you don't turn on certain genes, right? So, like, you're, you're again, you're not leveraging as you could. So, I think that, to me, like, that's the opportunity for anyone who's walking around on this earth, whether you're, doesn't matter what you are in your profession, but if, in fact, you care about optimizing your physical, mental, emotional potential, you know, sleep is the place to start, no question.
0: Yeah, and what I hear you saying, too, is just with that, you know, in your example of the athlete that's already scoring 30 yeah. points a game and feels like those they're, are they're real, at the top of the Those are real game. conversations right there. further? <laughs> 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 well, and I would imagine the same would be true, though, in terms of performance that, you know, a, a CEO or an entrepreneur would get the benefit of. They have to be thinking about those metrics as well. I mean, maybe the outputs are more around valuation yeah. or stock price or Or executive functioning, uh, working are memory. There, are there like, ways
1: that... I mean, we've proven this. Like, I, you know, I did a study with 100 yeah. CEOs CEOs at a prestigious consulting firm, and the individuals who were walking around with 45 minutes of sleep debt had a five to ten percent decrease in next day executive function and working memory. Now, you take that, you extrapolate that, and you know you're walking around with three hours of sleep debt. You can just imagine, like they're literally, like just not even using half of their brain. But again, they're already maybe elite. But again, it's about what are you leaving on the table, and and I think that's that's the opportunity.
0: Yeah, I, and I get the opportunity to interact with a lot of innovators and scientists that are designing and developing, you know, next generation therapeutics or cures, and yeah. that's when disease is already set in. And what I think is yeah, exactly. particularly exciting about you know what Whoop is doing and other movements in this direction is yeah. more around the science of of wellness and um,
1: yep. preventative
0: techniques yep. that allow for staying out of the hospital you know staying out of the doctor's exactly. office improving your overall yeah. well-being and I think that's a very interesting thing. As you look toward the future, we we see a few companies more on the therapeutic side. We've got a company called Rayos here that's yep. developed a, a wearable tool that's a flow sensor that's yeah. you know very effective in helping in its first indication hydrocephalus patients. But the use of implants, for example, for heart failure patients, yep. wearables for heart failure patients, predictive analytics and understanding, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, how to use that data. To yeah. make better decisions. Could you just comment yep. a little bit more around your experience there? And again, even yeah. you know, referencing some books or academic studies around how you use yeah, yeah. the analytics to drive better yeah, decisions. Yeah. So
1: I mean, that was one of the very first conversations I had with the CEO of Whoop, uh, Will Amin. This is six years ago. I was like, this thing is more than just elite athletes, you know. And at the time that that was our focus. That's kind of where we started. But now, you know, we've evolved. To a point where we're doing research with, you know, trying to figure out, okay, what is, you know, we want to be able to predict toxicity in cancer patients. So we're working on an algorithm right now that basically will help us do just that, you know, with Duke Medical. You know, we're about to ramp up a study, actually, with looking at what are the, how can we help get a patient who's going in for an implant as kind of fit and ready as possible. Uh, using the WHOOP technology to help them dial in on their sleep. You know, we know that receptivity of implants, you know, the obviously the, the better slept you are, the more aligned your circadian rhythm is, like, you know, there's all, all sorts of things, that, you know, that has a downstream effect in terms of like affecting at every cell in your body and your kind of overall mental, physical, and, you know, emotional health. So kind of dialing in on that. So when folks go in for their implant, they're in their best possible condition to receive that. We're also working in the fertility space. Obviously, women who are going through treatments for for IVF, a lot of the, again, positioning those individuals to really have as regulated sleep as possible, because I think women in general who are, are suffering from infertility, you know, there's there's sleep dysrhythmia, there's circadian misalignment, that there is, you know, HPA axis issues. And, and these are things that we can directly coach you to a better future by understanding how to actually mitigate stress levels, you know, through the, the data that you're getting via the Whoop app. Um, and obviously, improving sleep and, and getting more aligned from a circadian perspective. These are things that a, a woman can take control of prior to going to treatment, that will give her potentially a better chance of um, of that receptivity to the treatment. So, you know, there's just a, three examples of kind of how we're being used um, in, in various ways. And then just as a data collection method across all sorts of different types of research worldwide, you know, um, they're using WHOOP to collect all the physiological data. Because I, I think, again, going back to sleep, like, I think a lot of the psychological studies that have been done in the past you know, without sleep, you're missing a pretty big piece of the puzzle that provides loads of context, right? So, you know, a lot of the studies that we're engaging with different academic partners that are kind of psychological type of studies, now we've got the physiological piece. And it's funny, because I had one researcher say that it's like, all of the research that has been done before now, we just need to redo, you know, because it, because it, it should be psychophysiological research all the time, whenever possible. Um, because I think if you're if you have one without the other, it's there, it's bidirectional, and you're you're just missing huge amounts of context. So we're. Is the robust
0: integrated level of that data is now a requirement to really have meaningful data that can guide I think can, so. Can guide uh, the, the health. Yeah. One uh, yeah. what are your thoughts on just gut health and thinking about and not even in the context of Whoop per se, but just broadly the importance of gut health? You know, we have a company that we're supporting Cloister Bio that's leveraging knowledge around the microbiome mm-hmm. to um, stimulate the immune system immunomodulatory effects mm-hmm. that repair uh, gut barrier function that is oftentimes faulty in food allergy patients mm-hmm. in IBD patients for example yeah. you know and there's this whole you know notion of the gut brain access and the importance of clean gut health and its relationship to other diseases that you otherwise wouldn't think about any opinions or yeah, thoughts there?
1: yeah I mean I definitely I, I guess how, how I think about it is you know I Measure my glucose levels, you know, probably 300 days of the year. I wear a continuous glucose monitor. And I think for me, like, I just try to keep my glucose levels as stable as possible. Um, so I know if I'm limiting variability, generally speaking, I can't limit variability and not put good things in my body. It's like virtually impossible. So Keeping my glu- my glucose levels, you know, stable, I think drives a lot of my food choices, which I think puts me in a position to put the right things in my body. And I think that, yeah, I mean, it directly, we know it, you know, directly affects kind of immune function and going a, a layer deeper, you know, I think a lot of folks who are, Putting antibiotics in their body, NSAIDs, you know, taking a lot of ibuprofen and aspirin and things like that, um, that definitely disrupts your gut biome. So, you know, again, I think we need to be really careful about what we're putting in our body. If, in fact, you know, we're interested in optimizing our cognitive functioning, um, if we're interested in optimizing our sleep, because we know we we see a relationship between glucose variability and sleep fragmentation. You know, that's been studied, and and I think we we know that. So, again, it's this virtue. Uh, cycle. If, if we're not putting the right things in our body, um, it's going to impact our sleep, which is going to impact kind of our mental and physical well-being. I think the other piece around just your gut is understanding timing, too. You know, we entrain to kind of all the, you know, cues in the environment. And when we're eating all day long, Like that's really hard on our system. Digestion is super effortful, right? And it's a stress that we put on our body. It requires parasympathetic activation. And when we're asking our body to digest food, we just, it's costly, right? So I think thinking about you know, restricting our feeding windows to specific times in the day that mimic the cues in the environment are really important. So eating when the sun's up, for example, and not when the sun's down is probably ideal. And I think we can say this based on the literature that exists. So I think a healthy gut starts with limiting your glucose variability. I think that's a, a great place to start. Um, you know, obviously. Trying to eat as many foods that are digestible and, uh, you know, (laughs) nutrient-rich, nutrient-dense is also a good place to start. And and I think just the timing. And, And Sachin Panda's work is probably the most robust in this area that, you know, timing is just as important as what you're putting in your body. Special thanks to our sponsors, World Business Chicago. Connect with World Business Chicago, the city's economic development agency, and discover more about the city's vibrant life science ecosystem.
0: From Chicago's global universities and research institutions to its diverse pipeline of skilled talent and vibrant neighborhoods, as well as its cutting-edge lab and office space, Chicago has the fuel for your company's success. There's no better place to build a life science company than in Chicago. Bye. So back to balance and maybe looking at where you are right now with really advancing at the highest levels in your career and then in tandem influencing others through your coaching and mentoring, but then also pursuing the, the PhD in psychology. So on paper, that balance and the integrated approach is very logical and pragmatic, but how do you live to that? And, and do you, are you are you able to kind of keep that balance? And uh, I love your, you know, peace. How do you keep that equilibrium and, and peace
1: in practice? Yeah, you know, I think... It's such a great question, Um, and uh, very few people have asked me like that, but but, but peace is is just something I value. So I think when I said it, I think in the context of growth and impact, you know, those are also two values that I have. You know, peace is another one, and, and it's really just being comfortable exploring you know, this is going to sound a little woo-woo, but, you know, my interior world and and making sure that conscious of my thoughts and aware of my behaviors and how they might be, how they're impacting myself and how they might be impacting others. And, you know, I know that when I am able to be at peace, you know, that's when I'm present, you know, And, and I think contemplative practices have really helped me I think be at peace and and you know live my values and uh, get the sleep that I need. You know I, I very rarely have a bad night's sleep, and a lot of it is just because, you know I do things like yoga nidra and I do a breathwork practice daily. I exercise. I prioritize my sleep over everything, but I think as a result, I'm able to be I think a pretty good mom. You know to to my kids, and I'm able to. Yeah, pursue very intense degree on top of having a full time job.
0: Well, I bet that demands balance though. Yeah, I bet that demands balance again because you've got yeah. Your family I mean, they're the that, perfect you know, that keeps you, keeps you grounded. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah,
0: and 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 keeps you yep. sharp and and uh, you know on. Yeah, well, on they track, they are the I, best. Um, uh, they speak. you
1: can't. As soon as you deviate from what you say you care about, as soon as your actions like, mom, you're not paying attention to me. Yeah. I'm like, you're right. Carry, you know, oh call you yeah, for sure. for sure. Like you get, <laughs> I, yeah. So that 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 keeps me on track.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, that's great. Well, as we kind of wind down the conversation, I, uh, you know, one of the things that we're very interested in with LabRast Unicorns is trying to really just. Uh, open up perspectives around inviting new talent into the ecosystem, the innovation ecosystem, the science ecosystem, and health and and wellness are all part of that. And oftentimes, you know, when a person's just getting started on the journey, they may not select for that. They may say, "Well, I'm not really in math and science, and I'm not in STEM, or I don't look like them, and so it's not it's not for me." What would you say to that next generation, and maybe what could we do? We meaning, you know, us as individuals, but also with the platforms that we're involved in to maybe increase the chances that you know, back to your experience at Iowa, that could create the conditions that create a broader, more welcoming community of people that we're going to need. You know, in this in this next move, we're going to scale up all these interesting technologies. We need much broader participation. So any advice or thoughts around how we ought to think about that? Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, that's in part why I really do like liberal arts education, you know, because you do get exposed to, uh, you know, you get exposed to sciences, you get exposed to the arts, you get exposed, you just get a broader kind of exposure. And then, and I think the advice is really, okay, what do you love thinking about? You know, like, what are the things that are like, really energize you? And, and I think that's, you know, for a long time, like I love teaching and coaching. Like I was like that, like I was really into the technical and tactical aspects of coaching. I could weave in my um, love for performance education. But I started really thinking more about innovation and technology and technology as a way to foster human performance and health. So I just paid attention to what I wanted to think about. And I'm like, okay, is my life set up in a way to live those things that I, I really want to care about and think about. And and sure enough, like, I didn't have quite, you know, what I needed at Princeton to kind of really live my values, I, I guess, you know, as I kind of went through. Because your values change over time. So I, I think advice— to folks who are thinking about career changes. And career changes can be when you're 35, you know, when you're 40, 45, 50, you can pursue a PhD when you're 50. Like there's no reason why you can't do those things. And I think it's just being aware of what it is that you care about at your core and how this might evolve and change. And and then just, you know, kind of think about, all right, like, well, what do I need to do to actually what kind of work enables me to do the thinking and innovating that I want to do? So, yeah. yeah. Kind of put I you on that so. path.
0: You don't know the exact yeah. arc and the exact pathway you're going to take, but casting, you know, out in a direction and then, you know, kind of iterating along that yeah. direction, you know, over the course of trying to reach that North yeah. Star over a and long time. And I think the other thing
1: i just say, like, you know, not to sound like I'm lecturing too much, but, you know, I think we have so much access to things that prevent us from reflecting on our life and on our behaviors, you know, as soon as—because that can be kind of—it can create some agitation, you know, when you're starting to, like, actually reflect on, all right, am I really happy, like, doing what I'm doing? Like, am I really able to live my values? And sometimes the answer is no, and I think the easy fix is to kind of go to social media or, you know, just start scrolling or, you know, like—but I guess I would— The third part to that would be just to sit with that discomfort for a little bit and feel it and just be like, all right, like, you know, so I think we don't give ourselves enough space to like think. And I would say if there's one thing in my career, in my life that I've always, always given myself time is space to think. And I love that. I think that's just so important. And I don't think we we'll love teach that. that. And
0: enough. it's almost unheard of at this point, you know, with technology and <laughs> I know. everything is just on to the next thing. So that's, but that's, that's the path r- to peace refreshing.
1: is, is, yeah, yeah. is having time to think and being comfortable in that, that state of agitation. Cause on the other side of it, it is the peace, you know, is, is living your values and working on things that really bring you, you know, joy and, um, you know, and, and are really fulfilling.
0: I, lo- I love that perspective. So last question, do you have any books or podcasts or uh, people that you think our audience would benefit from hearing that, that you yeah. think are well, inspiring? Yeah, well, there's
1: no question. I mentioned earlier, Dr. Andrew Huberman, very top of the list, definitely someone to follow. I mean, I love Sam Harris, his podcast. I'm going through some podcasts right now and they all have, I don't think Dr. Andrew Huberman has a book yet. One's coming out, but Sam Harris, I think, is just sensational, just a very clear thinker. I don't always agree with him, but I just love the way he thinks through problems and the way he articulates. He's a neuroscientist um, and philosopher, so has this really cool integration of just deep, deep, heavy thinking, but also with kind of a scientific lens. Um, Sam Harris, uh, Peter Atia is another one who I'm, um, you know, religious. I listen to pretty much every one of his podcasts, and I don't know that there's really, I just put him. And the top three of like most brilliant people I've ever like come in contact with, you know, all of these influences that we kind of rattled off over the course of this podcast goes into just extraordinary depth. So any of the science geeks listening will love all three people I just mentioned. David Sinclair just came out with a podcast, uh, Matt, um, which is which is awesome. So on human longevity, and and that actually is sure. really really digestible, yeah, yep. very simple. Harvard. You know, Tia gets in the weeds. Um, Huberman's, I think, very accessible. Sam Harris will get kind of in the weeds. And that expands, like, politics and, and all sorts of things. But I think Sinclair seems to be really very simple and, and very tactical and actionable. And then I would say another one, Matt Walker just came out with a podcast, you know, about sleep. So, of course, I love listening to that. And and they're short, you know, like, less than, like, 20 minutes, I think. And those are nice and digestible. The Big Picture by Sean Carroll, I think, is a brilliant book. Noise is mm-hmm. is by Kahneman is another you know, sure. really good one. Sapiens is awesome. Um, and then Successful Aging, I think, is another one that I love by Leviton. And then Peak by Dr. Mark Bubbs, I think, is awesome for anyone who's kind of more on the sporty side. Yeah. So those are, those are like just, you know, off the top of my head. Oh, and I love Guns, Germs, and Steel too, from, I, I love Jared Diamond, is just sensational. So yeah, I read all the time. These so. are all- <laughs>
0: Well, that's fantastic. These are great suggestions. Yeah. Cool. No, I'm taking notes as you're as you're talking. <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll be guided by some of these suggestions, as I'm sure our audience will be as well. So, Kristen, I really want to thank you for such a wonderful, enjoyable conversation. And I'm so excited around what you're doing right now. Certainly what you've been able to accomplish, but the most important is what you're on track to do and the impact that you're having using the, the many tools that you have at your disposal. So it's been a true honor and look forward to continuing to follow your progress and stay in touch and find ways to collaborate. Thank you John, as we'll
1: Will do. Appreciate you having me on.
0: <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. It was another great episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with our guests today and were inspired the way I was. Looking forward to reconvening again in 2 weeks. Please visit our website at labrats2unicorns.com. We welcome any of your comments, feedback, ideas if you want me to ask certain questions of guests or you have ideas of people that we should be interviewing.
1: That is all goodbye.